Good evening, friends. Welcome back to the Front Porch. My name is Dennis Rogers, and I'm joined by Michael Daniels. How's it going, Mike? How was your Monday? Wonderful, Dennis. Um, it's June, so it's uh, not only is it summertime, it's summer movie time, and uh, mm. my, my favorite kind of movie movie time. I think I it's it's pretty clear in my in in our friend group that uh, I I enjoy really dumb movies. Not 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 dumb, hmm. just what am I? What word am I looking for here? Um, not intellectually challenging. Is that, is that the thing? It, it does no, movies that don't necessarily make you think. All, all the summer, I, I call them lovingly summer popcorn movies. But there's a lot of those coming out here. Sure, sure. If you if you split everything, which is one of those things, right? They're like, is it comedy or drama? Um, if you split everything into art and entertainment, uh, you prefer the entertainment side. Yes. But but I I we know I love art stuff. That's you not yeah. not that you're incapable of appreciating <laughs> correct, an art correct. an artsy movie. But but given the choice on a lazy Sunday, you'll go give AMC some money and uh, watch a Transformer. Y- yes, ex- exactly. Except for the last night, that's the only one that I walked out of. So, um, yeah. But yes. Uh, speaking of that, that's that's coming up this next weekend. Uh, I wouldn't say I'm excited. I'm happy about it because I want to see more Transformer things. But, but like all the Transformer movies, it, with the exception of Bumblebee, I've walked into them with a like, hey, this this is still going to be a fun time with low expectations, and nothing else. And then they have succeeded in uh, beating my expectations worse than what I thought it could be. Okay. Um, so so sure. I'm hoping that that's not the case with this one. It looks pretty good, and early reviews are that it's not that it's great, but it's like okay, this is better. And I'm I'm more hopeful because it's a another non Michael Bay movie, um, hmm. and he is such a terrible director um, that uh, taking a franchise away is from him is is was the smart move, even though he made billions of dollars with it. Yes, yes, yes. Um, right. In that same vein, uh, Fox, our buddy Fox um, from um, uh, LRM Online, has mm-hmm. told me that I should go watch Fast X, Fast 10, uh, yep. the, the, the movie. And he's like, you'd like it. And we talked about this a little bit on the show in the past where I saw it on your Plex at one point, And I was like, I should watch this one. So I went out and, and found them and then watched a couple of them. And... Then went back again and said, okay, I, I watched them in the theater with the, another buddy of mine, Bill, watched one of them, but never really paid attention except for like, ooh, cars blowing up, you know, flashy things. Right. Uh, but really don't know what's going on. Um, so I decided this last week or two that I'll go watch it, sure, Fox, um, but I'm going to go find out what's going on this time and watch them all. So as of two days ago, I finished all the way through F9. Of that series. You 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 thwarted my my unspoken plan to make a make a fast summer where we watch them all for the show, but that would have taken the whole summer watching one of those movies a week. Uh, yeah, and true, sure, right. I'm I'm kind of okay doing that. Yeah, like I might. You mean I not might doing find that? some time this summer? Yeah, okay, not doing that. I might find some time this summer to do the same thing on my own, and then yeah. we can. Do a do a comparative uh, overall review of the entire franchise mm-hmm, mm-hmm. to this point. Um, <clears throat> you know what it 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 quickly gets 
you get past. I think it's. I think everybody is, is is who even talks about it a little bit understands that they have gone way over the line a long time ago. Like you know, with what it is, you know, it's they're no longer trying to be anything but a comic book superhero, you know, show. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think I've said before. Um, for a long time, the only ones I had seen were one and two. Um, I saw those in the theater because they came out while I was in college. And, I and those really feel serious now. Now that I think back, those like one and two movies. so serious. Well, I, I strongly disliked two because at that time I still... And I, it's not that I dislike cars, but when I was in my 20s, I had more affection for cars. And the 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 change the transition from fast and the furious to too fast too furious um in my opinion took a serious step down in yeah. the quality of the cars yes well okay um, sure sure and do you mean the cars themselves or like the cars themselves like okay. the 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 first movie feels like you know it's it's a it's a little bit more car versus car than driver versus driver, and that's the whole thing is they're racing and they're you know I mean yes the one guy is an undercover cop which in retrospect sort of explains how they started down the path of where the franchise went but um, it's just the big cars with the motors and all this stuff and then the second one it's just a lot of little imports with nitrous mm-hmm. and I'm like that's not cool like I had friends who were VW heads who were like. Oh, the Jetta in that movie was so cool. And I'm like, really? Because I, I can't tell it apart from any of the other cars. They all yeah. look like tiny little, which is the kind of car that I drove before I had to tow anything anywhere. But I'm like, you're going to put that up against the one from the first movie that had a Hemi? that mm-hmm. the, They put a giant truck motor in this muscle car and it, it had so much torque that it bent the frame? <laughs> right. You're going to tell me... That your your little Volkswagen with the nitrous uh, injection is better than that, right? No, no, yeah, not they, not interested. They, they and they still do that occasionally. There's always, there's always I think there's always at least one car in there that you're like they're trying to prove that the driver's better than the car. Like they do that. I think in, in every every episode, there's sure. there's sure. one of those cars. You're like I don't know that one, but then the rest of them now. I think after four or Tokyo Drift or something. Most of the cars are like gold-plated Lamborghinis and, you know, mm. beautiful, gorgeous prototype <laughs> cars. And you're like, they, you know, which, which when that starts happening, actually, we all know the first movie, the second movie. I think after the second movie that is when they start, you know, none of them get a scratch. And you know that your car, if you breathe on it wrong, it gets a scratch. You know, your little Ford Pinto out there would get a scratch let alone right. a gold-plated Lamborghini, you know? You hit a you 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 hit a particularly large June bug going down the interstate. Yes. And now there's a now there's a fleck of paint that's gone. It's going to start to rust in that spot. Right. And and in these movies they, you know, they do flips and jumps and ram each other's cars and then they're still going down the road and there's not a bumper missing, nothing happening at all. Um right. and, and that happened. I mean, it's not even like a little damage. There's just zero damage when they just slammed. They had a whole scene where they, they slammed each other's sides into the wall and he scraped up against six cars on the side of the road. And you're like, the car's not damaged at all. And, and I think I'm guessing it was after two, maybe or three where they just said, yeah, we're not that kind of show. 
You know, we're, we're just right. not that. Um, yeah. And, and, and it, which is great. I'm, I've always, I've actually been a fan of people who go out there and say, um, yeah, we're not going to play to the hype. This is what we're doing and we're doing it. I, uh, Hardy's was an example for me. Hardy's back in the late nineties, early two thousands put out commercials for like, it was just, um, very scantily clad women on cars with a gigantic sandwich and they're just eating yeah. this, you know, dripping yeah. ketchup on ourselves and with it's, big grease I, coming down, you know? I don't know how accurate this is, but in my mind, that always coincided with the, the fallout of the Super Size Me, yes. quote-unquote, documentary. Right. Where, uh, especially McDonald's, which is a whole thing. I remember reading a an article in Wired, of all things. Now, this is probably 15-plus years ago. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just about the scale of McDonald's and how the process of them introducing apple slices on their menu was a massive undertaking, like right. took a year of R&D and whatever, because something like within a week or maybe even less of them doing that, McDonald's became the number one buyer of apples in the world. Yeah, I remember that. And you're too, like, because yeah. like from a layman's perspective, you're like, what? Why is it such a big deal? Like, you cut up apples and you put them in a bag and you sell them. Like, how is that complicated? Oh, well, they've got a billion stores. I'm making that number up, obviously. right? Yeah. Like, like there are McDonald's restaurants everywhere. So, yeah, it's got to be like perfectly planned out. Right. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, like. McDonald's and then a lot of the other Wendy's, Burger King, whatever, started doing, started offering healthier options on their menus. They would have mm-hmm. salads and fruit sli- uh, apple slices and whatever. And then Hardee's slash Carl's Jr. was like, okay, so part of the market is going that way, obviously. Yep. People who are not very smart are going to watch or hear about this documentary and suddenly realize, quote unquote, that burgers and fries are not healthy, and they're going to try to get a salad. Like, they just figured that out. Um, And, you know, they're going to try and get a salad at McDonald's. Because they're not going to stop going to McDonald's because of that. Right, right. (laughs) That's that's the whole thing, too. And Hardee's was like, you know what? We're going to go the other way with this. Instead of changing up our menu, or they probably did change up their menu, but they're like, we are going to lean into this, this, these optics, this aesthetic, and we're going to say, no, you know what? If you want a salad, you can go get a salad somewhere else. Here, you're going to get a giant burger, and we're going to show you a bikini-clad, jean-short chick who's never eaten a Hardee's burger in her life, (laughs) eating this, uh, eating this um gigantic burger right. and yeah and, and that's I mean, and that's, that's what we are right and and that, that, that's how marketing works right and and i i really enjoyed that not not that necessarily those commercials but i mean the, i enjoyed that they knew what they were they didn't care about all these opinion now we'd have all these like you know um can uh, was it cancel culture stuff and if you don't do this we're going to boycott they just didn't care and right. and I'll, they made just fine money they just did just fine Right. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And and that's why I feel like the Fast and the Furious type stuff, too. It's that like. Sure. That they I are just what we fine. were talking about. We got off on it. Right. They are just fine doing what they're doing and they don't have any problems about it. And every single actor will say, of course, there's 10 of them and 11 coming because we make over a billion dollars. There's no reason to not do that. Um, and that's yeah. why we also have Transformer movies. Unfortunately, the Transformer movies got 
difficult to sit through. These at least are still entertaining. Like, I, so I did watch Fast X. My my review of it is it's it's another episode in the saga of Fast and Furious. There's, mm-hmm. um, uh, as I was talking to Sydney before she had left a couple weeks ago, I I'd said, uh, um, you know, they're only an hour and a half long ish hour and or ninety minutes to hundred and twenty something like that. Um, I watch that in a TV series every week, easy, right? right. Um, no problem whatsoever. What, so what's my problem with sitting down and watching a, a, a movie that's that long? It's not that big of a difference. Um, and there's only 10 of them where I'll watch an hour long TV sh- show that has four, four seasons and they're all, you know, 15 episodes long. And I'm just fine with mm-hmm. that. Um, sure. And this this is much easier to consume because they're 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 very episodic, I guess is the word for it, right? They're, mm-hmm. They don't you don't have to watch the next one to know the next one to watch the next one to go on to the next one. Right. This is just this happened, then the next one happened, and then the next one happened, and that's their show. So Fast X was another episode. It's just another ep- episode in the episodic thing with some. And if you look at it like that, it's got some season long kind of content to it where you know that there's a character from the past episodes and there's a character from there. And uh, this is what they're doing now because of this guy died or something. Um, right. But really it, that's why I was able to go through it in two weeks time is that it was just a, a TV series like that. And when I watched fast X sat down, I enjoyed it the same way that it's just another one of the series. And they did all of the things that you might think, um, Mm-hmm. That, that that they did in all the other ones. Um, I almost think that they can't top Fast 8. Fast 8 was the most insanity. Like when you're flipping and, you know, tanks across bridges and doing barrel rolls with tanks and then landing on their treads and then still going, you're like, okay. Or 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 a, a Mustang comes and puts an anchor on a tank and is able to just like turn it and spin it around like it's a baseball. You're like, okay, okay. <laughs> a, a, a nitrous, a nitrous oxide tank doesn't do that for your Mustang. Just, just, so you, right. just so you know. But, but anyway, I enjoyed it. It, it. it was fun the way it was fun. Um, it's unfortunate that I, I know that there is some back, back lot type stuff that goes on with that series that has to do with the main act actor. And he's not becoming well liked by a lot of the people. Um, right. And so the unfortunate that doesn't ever bother me with watching shows except for this fast X, you can feel it. And it's not Mm. in the interactions of the characters is that they literally don't have scenes together. Like he's in it in almost the whole movie by himself in any scene he's in, he's in with, he's interacting with maybe one other person and then that's it. And then the rest of the team are all together doing their own things. And you're like, Oh, he is, that's really clear that he is not with them. And it's, it's kind of, I don't say forced, but it doesn't make sense because he's with the team less and less throughout the series. Uh, but this one's really like that. It's like, uh, they clearly don't like acting with him anymore. Um, so yeah, it, and, and that it was very noticeable. Um, so anyway, yeah, that, that was okay. Um, I did watch Across the Spider-Verse, but we'll not talk about it until next week when you have watched right. it. Yeah, I haven't seen it yet. So, so we, we will not talk about that. I know that's some people's talk of this last weekend um, because that um, was probably the biggest one that was out this last weekend, I think. 
Yeah, yeah. I did not go to the movies. I I spent the weekend traveling. You were like you were actually doing cool week. stuff. <clears throat> a little bit, a little bit. Um, there's not a lot to see across the bottom <laughs> of uh, Minnesota and South Dakota. Um, uh, my family appreciated your picture you sent us of wall drug signs. Mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that was appreciated. Um, yeah, I did that. I went, so once I got, you know, you get almost all the way across South Dakota before you start seeing things. Um, I did stay the night at a brewery on the east side of the state. Um, kind of a cute little place a couple of brothers run. Um, and had some beers, met some people. That was, every that was every time, time you say you do that, I envision, uh, that episode from Poker Face where they're out. And he lives in his camper. Right. I, that's, right. he has his that's where camper I envision you're staying is a place like that. <laughs> it's not, uh, I mean, there are no murders, honestly. <laughs> that um, you know of, that you know of. And the camper in that, he just lives in it, it just sits there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not, it's not quite that. There were, there was at least a person, I didn't meet them, so I don't know if it was one person or, or more than one, who had a van like uh, what Trotsky rented couple weeks ago mm-hmm. out in um a camper van type thing yeah camper van um who they were also staying there but i don't think i saw them inside and then they left in the morning before i um uh, went outside so i didn't i didn't i don't think that i met them but i met a couple who had gone into south dakota for something and were going back to minnesota and i chatted with them a little bit um but anyway, once I got to the far side of the state, I um, drove through the Badlands. Um, I did stop at that Minuteman site you mentioned um, mm, and yeah. got my got my National Park passport stamp. Nice. Um, yeah, that's right. That's the one there. That was like, kind the, of an easy one. The actual silo isn't there. It's down the road, and it had closed like an hour before oh, I was there. Oh, sad. That's the coolest I part. Like, Dang it. Um, so I don't know, maybe if I, I I think it's like an hour and a half to get back there from where I am now. So I don't think I'm going to do that, but I'll be in the state. So so did you go into the trailer place that they had for the, it was a trailer when I went there. It was the museum ish or the headquarters of that Minuteman. Um, I don't think so. That whole site was still closed when I did drive in there and like take a picture of it from outside the fence. Um, the main site with the gift store has, a museum with some like there's a what what's supposed to be an old TV showing duck and cover drills and oh yeah and that's stuff that's like what that. I'm talking about there yeah that I didn't spend too much time there because I was yeah. not in a hurry but in a kind of like okay well if I want to do this and this and this I still don't want to get to camp I already had a five and a half hour drive if with no stops yeah and, and there's um, not really a lot to see there anyway the, I think the only uh, thing that's worth seeing there is the sign they have on the wall that they used to have in the um, the missile launch silos. It's a mm. Domino's uh, poster, and it says thirty minutes or less. Uh, okay. Because it takes twenty-eight minutes to deliver a nuclear warhead from that location to Moscow. So there, it, it was thirty minutes or less. There was a little joke that's, for the, the yeah, nu- that's, nuclear that, operators. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Um. Yeah, and then I went to Badlands, which was it's a little pricey, like. Is it really? How's it pricey? Like it's uh, the park? 
the park, it costs thirty dollars to get in. Really? But it's per wow. ve- it's per vehicle. So if you had a bunch of people, it wouldn't be bad. Okay. Um, but you drive around. There is a campground in there. I don't know what yep. the I deal is with that. I, I, um, you know, I already had plans, so I didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't do that. But I drove through that again. I was also in kind of a hurry because the um, the visitor center for the Badlands was closing in like twenty minutes, mm-hmm. and I wanted to again get in there and get the stamp. Get so stamp, I did right? that, and then drove back out through the park again, stopping a couple times to get pictures. And um, it's an amazing place, isn't it? Just yeah, yeah, just, just I, kind of geo. Not geographic. What's the word? I'm geologic. geologic uh, um, phenomenon. Yeah, you're just like, what the heck is happening here? I, I, yeah. I said it last week about how you're just driving for so long in the flat Great Plains that everything is visible within the horizon. And mm-hmm. then this thing happens. I mean, you can see yeah. mountains in the horizon of the Great Plains, but then these ditches or what the heck they call whatever the Badlands is. I Right. I, I kind of should read up on what kind of geological thing <laughs> happened in there to make it be that kind of stone in that area. I'm not right, sure. But right. It's, it's um, but I I did that, and then I stopped at Waldrug and got <laughs> a T-shirt and a shot glass. I survived then, Waldrug or something kind of thing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then... So, um, so real quick for our listeners, what, what's the deal with Waldrug anyway? Like, why are we even mentioning the the story, as I understand it, is way back in the 30s when people had Model Ts. And st- I mean, I guess it would be in the 30s it would be a little better than Model Ts, but not by much. Um, when people still had... We're talking about know, the 1930s. 1930s. Early, uh, in the early days of vehicles, right? Cars would overheat, just and they just have water in the radiator and stuff like that. And they would go, you know... 35 miles an hour or something like that. And Waldrug was an oasis, basically, uh, in between the Badlands, I guess in between the Badlands and the Black Hills. So whichever way you're going, you could stop there and get fuel and food and water. Um, And we're talking about like 10 hours anyway before anything else, right? Right at those at those speeds nowadays it's not that bad with the inter- with i ninety and all of that but um, yeah and then it and then it became a landmark right it's just a touristy kind of there are several shops um, across a street and then the wall drug itself is like a block long um, I don't know if mercantile is the right word flea but it's market. one of those I called it a flea market is what I called it it's yeah. a little bit like a flea market except I don't think I didn't see any like secondhand stuff but you go in and there are just a multitude of businesses operating in the same like long stretch of building and you just go between one building and the next um because it's all just one downtown city block um yeah and then i got to camp i am about 20 minutes south of rapid city um I've only been here one night, so I haven't uh, I haven't done anything yet. I will go and see Rushmore, which I think is like 20, 30 minutes from here. Um, and then Deadwood is way north of um, Rapid City. It's like a it's like a little over an hour from where I am here, so I might 
I might see that on my way out, although my next two, next weekend's drives are going to be like over seven hours. So I might like take off work early and, and go. One of the weird things about this traveling west is that my work schedule is shifting forward in the day as I go into earlier time zones. Um, So that might make doing a little bit of touristy stuff a little easier. Yeah, that was. And that area you're in now is such an interesting part of the country. So it's like there's, while you have to move on, it there's just feels like there's so much to see. I know, um, right. One of the one of the things that's out there is a place called Wind Cave. W I N D Wind Cave. Mm-hmm. I think it's the second largest in the world. I want to say um, cave um, okay. that I didn't know anything about. The other one I think is Mammoth Cave in Kentucky. Um, right. But the I think that's right. But uh, anyway, Wind Cave was the second um, most mapped or something like that uh, in the world. And um, we just went to see it on a lark, and it was stunning. You know, take an elevator. There's one you take an elevator down to a floor where you start. Mm -hmm. um, And it's people take day-long, like week-long trips to go down. They travel for like seven days underground camp down at a spot and then seven days back and you're like oh my god it's it's insane but it's really really big and huge but the thing about it i thought the most interesting thing was that it's just like all the areas around there kind of a flat open field and you would never know there's a gigantic cave miles and miles and miles down below you uh because they just like some boys stumbled into a little hole and you can go visit the hole it's right by the the uh, um like the little visitor center. And it's just Mm -hmm. a little hole where a kid can fit down and it goes down into this (laughs) massive cave. And you're like, geez, just staring at it and being stunned that kids would go with a little candle and go explore is, is terrifying. But anyway, there's, there's stuff like that everywhere out there. Um, so I, like I said last week, a little jealous that, uh, it's cool. It's a little sad that you have to rush through it, but it's neat that you get to see it, you know, like Mount Rushmore and and things like that. You've been there before, right? Rushmore. <clears throat> yeah, when I was a kid, uh, I was like twelve or thirteen. Um, in the early nineties, we came out this way, and so I've I've seen sites that I remember from that trip. Like in Minnesota, there's a uh, a thing called the Corn Palace. <laughs> okay. Um, it's I don't even really know what's inside because I didn't go inside this time either. But I saw the billboards for it and I was like, "Oh yeah, Corn Palace! I remember that." Because I was just old enough to really remember, and I had like that little one ten camera with me, and I took pictures of stuff. But it's this it's this building in uh, Mitchell, Minnesota, that it has like some sort of onion domes and stuff on the top of it. It's it's some kind of museum inside. But they decorate the outside with corn. It's like corn husks and corn <laughs> okay. cobs to make these sort of mosaic patterns on the walls. Um, and because it was one of the stops, we, again, when I was a kid, we didn't go inside either. We just like pulled over and saw it and were like, isn't that cool? And probably for my parents, like looked at the admission because they had my mom and dad, my grandma, uh, my cousin, me, and, oh, we were down to Jess. So that's three, four, five kids. Five kids, two adults, and one senior. And so depending on 
the pricing of a thing, you know, my parents definitely back then were of the like, yeah, the kids are all under 12. Even though <laughs> yeah, right. I was I was twelve, my cousin was probably like fifteen. <laughs> sure. Um but but when we'd we'd go to like Holiday Inn or whatever, it's like, yeah, there's you know, we got a triple A discount and all the kids are under twelve, right? <laughs> um But you know, some places don't have those discounts. So they probably looked at it and were like, Oh, for everybody it's gonna cost us seventy dollars in nineteen ninety three and that's out, not in our budget. Sure. Um, it's, but, a, it's unfortunate that a lot of those places are so expensive to go to now, like $20 yeah. a person to go to. That's just, you know, for a family of four, it's just kind of crazy. Right, right. And I'm I'm by myself, so I don't right. I don't mind. Like like I said, I went through Badlands. I paid. It's, it's 30 bucks, but then that gets you the whole week, like if you want to come back. So I drove back through it twice. I don't know that I'll drive out there again because like i said it's a long ways away but rushmore is the same way and i also because it's just me like it's not prohibitively expensive and i like to um support the parks right national parks sure yeah um, the, I, I remember I, I remember rushmore being impressive kind of like how i always feel like if i went to the grand canyon would be it's that it's impressive for like 20 minutes and then you're like okay i'm done right i, I did i saw yeah. the thing i can only reflect for so long and then I'm done. <laughs> um, you know, you, then you can go inside and watch a bunch of videos on stuff, which is fine. Um, but uh, I will say that I was most impressed because in that area is also the crazy horse um, thing right. that they're building. And yeah. I was more, way more impressed with that thing than the, the national um, Mount Rushmore. It's obviously crazy horse isn't finished yet. Uh, probably will never be finished. Just the way things are. Um, yeah, the the video the the park I'm I'm staying at a private uh RV park and they're close enough to things that they have a bunch of videos mm-hmm. to like and and they gave me a little spiel when I when I checked in. They're like if you're going to go to Rushmore, here's what you do. You go out there and you turn left and you turn on this road and this will take you by here and there's these tunnels and that you go through these tunnels and you see and they tell you like give you the whole guided tour, but they also have a video uh, they have like half a dozen videos with all that same information. Um, not, I mean, Rushmore is just one of them. That then the others have their own videos. Um, and so I saw the videos of Crazy Horse, and I'm like, I don't remember it super well from when I was a kid, but I don't think that it was much more finished than it is now. Thirty yeah. years ago, it, it, I was um, just reading how they in, in the last 24 years they haven't even finished the finger that's pointing out towards there, and you're mm. like. Uh, they, they, it, it's kind of one of those, um, like anything with humans, you know, it's when we're all excited about it and we're going, if you get it going and finish it, you, you got to finish it and make the plan and finish it. Or when you hit a point where like, Oh, we're slowing down, then it's never going to be picked back up and, and finished. They, sure. they all, when you go out there to the museum, they're always like, yeah, you pay, make donations and your everything goes, that your money comes in, goes to it. Yeah. Like, but you haven't even carved anything in, in 25 years, you know? Why do you think you're going to fix it next? Do the whole thing in 15, which is not the point of this conversation. The point, though, is that it's very it's really big and you can see the huge structure and what they want it to be. And it's kind of like mm-hmm. you stand next to the the side, the, the statue that's, you know, kind of the size of a horse. Um, and then you can see it, the big mountain in the, diff- in the distance. You're like, oh, I can and see what it's how that be. will. It's like, yeah. the um, I forget what those are called, but it's like the king's the the Numenorean kings in 
Lord of the Rings when yeah, they go right. to the and the river runs down in between. I don't think it's quite that scale, but it's close. It's, and you're it's like, pretty close. You're right. Wow, yeah. that's a uh, that's an impressive. Uh, it's an ambitious goal. Well, not only is it an ambitious goal, especially when the thing about Crazy Horse is like there is some of it done. Like the big arm kind of sticks way out, and then the face is right. done, and you're like, wow, that's that's a mountain. Like man yeah. is changing a mountain this is insane that we could do that um and and while that's neat at rushmore i will say the rushmore thing the the best part about rushmore honestly is the night presentation they have like laser light show big very big america yeah they 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 mentioned that at the at the gatehouse i should try to do that that that's that's the only thing really worth doing because you go there and you're like oh that's really cool um on the side of the thing and they outline all the faces and they do the whole stuff so um Mm -hmm. With music and presentations, really cool. And, and actually, when I went there, one of the neatest things is that they have naturalization ceremonies there all the time. So, okay, you know, a bunch of people will become citizens. Yeah, um, that's cool. Yeah, it's very cool. You're like, that's really, really neat. And then they, they before the show start, the night show starts, they all get up there, they swear, get sworn in, and they all say the pledge of allegiance. And when you say the pledge of allegiance, then for these people who have just become citizens, it feels really cool. Sure. Um, you feel very like, wow, I'm very, very lucky that, you know, I'm had this since I was born. And now we're going to sit down and watch a very American thing, like very a lot of pride uh, in that moment, sure. Wh- which I did not have early, like two hours earlier when I was just wandering <laughs> around and right, in, right. in that place. Uh, that's anyway, funny. yeah, that's a very cool place. Uh, jealous. And then you're going to be moving next weekend. You say, where are you going out from then? Um, all the way up to Washington. Oh, yeah, right. You said that. Um, Washington. So I'll stop. Saturday night at another brewery in Montana somewhere. Yeah. Um, and then on the rest of the way across that tiny top part of Idaho and just over the border, like an hour into Washington state. Are you, are you planning on moving a lot this, this summer or is it going to be like, like last time I remember when you were in Texas, you were in Texas for a while, like say a month or two. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You moved around, but you were still like in two weeks in a place and then two weeks. During the winter. I, I am sure I've explained all this on the, on the show, but the membership that I had last year, um, required me to move every four nights in order to go park to park. Like if I stayed longer Mm -hmm. than four nights, I had to, um, be out of the thousand trail system for at least seven nights. And I didn't really want to pay for that. Although, this campground I'm at now was about 180 for a week, their weekly rate. They're yeah. cheaper than anybody else in Rapid City, but that's really not that bad. It's only a little bit more than I paid for one night in a hotel when I was broken down last week. Um, but anyway, um, the membership I have now, I can stay up to 21 nights. I don't think I will stay anywhere that long because that gets a little boring. Right. Um but like once a week, maybe every other week, I'll move to another park. And there are a lot along the coast. Um, probably the weekend after this next weekend, I'll move across Washington. But I think crossing Washington is still probably only like four or five hours. Um, so that won't be too bad. I could, no. I could do that. I won't, I won't need a, a halfway stop. Um, right. But yeah, that's my plan. Um, I did, when I 
started talking, I intended to talk about a movie or something. Oh, have you seen The Gentleman? Is that a... Um, Is that a Guy Ritchie movie? Guy Ritchie, yes, I have. I think twice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, somebody, one of the movie podcasts I listened to, were talking about Guy Ritchie movies, and they're like, you know the one that I love best? is The Gentleman. And I'm like, I've not seen that. I've seen Snatch half mm-hmm. a dozen times, and I've seen Lockstock, and mm-hmm. uh, what is Lucky Number Slevin one of his? Mm, Maybe. Not sure. No, I don't think so. Um, anyway, I was like, I've never seen this, so I'm going to check it out. Um, and you and it? was it? good. It's, it's, it's different to have uh, McConaughey in there. Yeah. Um, amusingly, I just started watching Succession, I don't know if you've okay. seen that. Uh, that's a that's very popular HBO show that just finished, and so naturally I decided to start it now that it's done. Um, and the one of the sons in that series is the um, the glasses guy uh, Matthew in in the gentleman. He's yeah. the guy who's who's trying to buy McConaughey's business. Oh yeah. Um, oh yeah, yeah, right. And we're talking about yeah, yeah, and it's good. It's not as like it's not snappy in the way that some of his other films are that are just very like English quippy, you know, like Snatch. Of course, I'm thinking of. Yep. Um, but it's still it's still clearly got his style. There's a yeah. lot of there's a lot of music. There's a lot of um, just jump, sort of jump cuts everywhere and jump. Yeah, a lot of rapid jump cuts. A lot of um, like the story, the story being driven or kind of turning, not at random, but like just through somebody being in the wrong place at the wrong time or the right place at the right time. Right? You know. You know right. what I mean? Where, like, they've got all this plan, and then one of the guys gets hit by a car, but it's just some of the other guys in the story who weren't even connected to this, but they actually work for this guy and are trying to kiss up to this guy's boss, and they just thwarted these guys' plan, but by accident, right? Yeah, right. Um, and so so there's there's still a lot of that. Um, and it was good. Yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it, too. I, uh, our... Again, in front of the show, Bill is a huge Guy Ritchie fan, mm, loves all mm-hmm. those shows. Um, and he's a big fan of those, of Lockstock and Snatch. He's one of the biggest ones that pushes it all the time on us. Uh, not, not, need to, not that he needs to push it, but, um, and <laughs> he, that, the gentleman's his favorite of those. He, he yeah. still watches it all the time and calls it for movie nights to watch it. Um, and I, I still think, um, Snatch is my favorite, but, um, this one is definitely deserves to be spoken in those the same you know phrase as those as the or breath as those other movies because you're right it's just kind of the same. It's uh, not as I would say it's the same. It's not the same thing, but different people, yeah. different story. It's not as silly as Snatch is, and for sure, and yeah. Silly feels like a weird word to use to describe Snatch because there's so much like violence and you know right but there's a lot and, of silliness to it right yeah but it's it's very a lot of the lines are very silly and whether you want more of that or you want more of a sort of coherent story 
Um, this is definitely that's definitely a gangster movie, right? Like definitely, yeah, for, for sure. There's there without describing anything that because since you just watched it, there's a scene where one of the gangster guys um, has to chase kids in the street. Yeah, and chases yeah. one underneath the thing, and then I love that scene when he finally pulls the the big gun out, and they all like. You know, I love like, that. I love that. Where part. did he have that gun while he was running? <laughs> As he was running the whole time, he pulls out that big gun. I'm like, that's it. Because that's those kids are just like a bunch of just terribly punk kids, and the whole time, like, oh man, these kids have no idea. Um, and then they just start to really act belligerently at one point, and he's like, all right, yeah. enough of this. <laughs> it's like, a, I I love that part of that scene. So yes, yeah. um, it's kind of narrated by. Um, what's his name? Um, English guy, Hugh Grant. The whole right. time. Which yeah. is also a different thing, how he, he narrates that whole thing. Um, yeah, yeah. And that that's a unique, um, I mean, I've not seen all of Guy Rich's films, but that's a, that's a thing that I've not seen. They don't do in Snatch, where it, like most of the movie is told in this frame where Hugh Grant is, is pitching a script to, um, to Charlie no. Hunnam, you're the, right. The yeah. Sons of Anarchy guy, yeah. Um, and th- that was cool too because you keep dropping in and out of the frame, and you're like, "What's what's happening?" Oh, he's embellishing this. So you've got some unreliable narrator going on there. Yeah, um, it's just really solid. Yeah, yeah. So th- that kind of makes me want to watch it again, just because you know, it like all the other Guy Ritchie movies, it has good dialogue that you kind of want to mm-hmm. hear again. You know, and he. He's got a lot of zingers that that come out, and you're like, "Oh, that's very well done." And even McConaughey has a lot of those that, that he delivers really well. Um, yeah, yeah, McConaughey I, I like after um, oh, time is flat circle. Um, what's it called? Uh, True Detective. True Detective. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> really got a different perspective on on him as an actor because he was for a long time, just like Owen Wilson or Bradley Cooper, where just a comedic actor who had some like leading man, romantic roles, you know, this all right. All right. All right. Kind yeah. of, you know, a, a little more, a little more Tallahassee than, uh, than those other two. But, um, yeah, yeah he, he, he's got, he, he gets some of better. these. He's just were, he, picking he, on the roles. Yeah. There's just a, he has a lot of range, um, that, that you, you know, didn't always see in his earlier work. And of course, Interstellar, right? Murph. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, he, he anyway. did. Cause I think it was actually, it was more when he did Dallas Buyers Club, which I never watched, but he won a big, oh, yeah. I think that's when I he won an Academy that. Award for that. Is um, that a Cohen? Um, is that a Cohen? Uh, let's see if I can get that one up there. Uh, no, it's a Google it first. Mark Jean Marc Vallee. Oh know yeah, I don't know. Uh, but he he did. Uh, he, I think when he won that one, that was 2012, 13, something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he started. He's you know he started doing. I mean, he was in Wolf of Wall Street that time at the same time. Yeah, I haven't seen that either. Oh my gosh. Okay, so we'll watch. That's a crazy one. We'll watch that one for sure. Um, <laughs> I'm adding that to the list now. Um, Wolf of Wall Street, Dallas Buyers Club, and then True Detective and Interstellar were all out within a two-year time frame. Right. So he just went like, you know, kind of crazy, and his agent got him all sorts of jobs that were in some serious stuff. 
and, and they're and they're pretty good. So yeah, good good on him. And then he did wherever the gentleman was, 2020 or 19, something like the price before the pandemic. Yeah, it's before the pandemic. All right, so let's let's this time since we've been talking a bit, let's jump into our show so we can talk about that before we get going. We can run into some other stuff. How's that? All right. So, as we mentioned last week, to celebrate our 300th episode. Hey, happy of, anniversary, Dennis. Of getting on Discord once a week and talking about nerd stuff. <laughs> um, we watched the movie of the same name, 300. 2006, starring Gerard Butler, Lena Headey, uh, probably uh, Faramir. Um, I was just going to say Faramir, you cut me off. <laughs> David yep. Wenham is his, uh, is his real name. And, and Mac- Michael um, Fassbender's in this. Magneto. Fassbender, who I... There were a lot of people who I couldn't spot. This movie's from 2006, so it's almost 20 years old. Uh, okay, it's 17 years old. Let me not get too far <laughs> ahead of myself there. Um, and written and directed by Zack Snyder. Which, Snyder, okay, sure. Yeah, like you think about that and you go, okay, yeah, yeah. It's not like it's easy to sort of pigeonhole a, a creative. This happens with actors a lot, but it's also true of directors, right? You think like the Coen brothers always do kind of the same thing, and yeah. Tarantino always does kind of the same I thing. I mean, they, and so, they know what they know and they're good at that, right? Right, exactly, exactly. You know, Spielberg, uh, um, uh, Hitch, Hitchcock, all those guys. Um, and, you know, I for a long time have had in my mind this, this, I don't know if stereotype is even the right word, this archetype of, um, of Snyder as making dark comic book movies, right? right. He did, uh, um, smiley face thing, Watchmen. Yep, yeah. Right? And you're like, okay, yeah, when The Watchmen came out, both the comic book in its time and the and the movie when it came out, you're like, yeah, the comic book movies were all this certain co- sort of thing and and he did this thing that was different and I and I have said many times he was the right director to adapt Watchmen because that mm-hmm. seems to be his style because that's what he was doing in his his DC films starting with Man of Steel. Yeah. Uh, right? Like Superman kills somebody. They destroy a city. It's this whole, like, yes, he's a hero, but it's also pretty dark for a Superman movie, et cetera, et cetera. This story is... It's not not dark, right? But it's not... It's not grim. Oh, well, maybe it is grim. It feels kind of grim. <laughs> grim, dark it's, type stuff. It's not... It's but it's not dark in a in the same way as like black suit Superman is dark. Does that make any kind of sense? Uh, sure. Um, I mean, I, I thought it was dark because the like the Persians are very monster, and it's and the sure the color is very dark. There's very yeah, dark stuff. It, it's yeah. it's it's got very um, distinct. It has a very distinct visual style. Now, what I found helped me i watched this last night after two straight days of being in the car and (laughs) going another time zone earlier and also 
I didn't sleep super well Saturday because I didn't have air conditioning and it's summer, so it's, it takes my camper a while to cool off without mm-hmm. without AC. And so I kept waking up like kind of sweaty, and and so I was exhausted last night. All that to say, and <laughs> and so I had a little bit of that watching this movie, but um, I I kept reminding myself that. This is based on a comic. It's like a yeah, graphic by, novel by Frank Miller. Yeah, who, who's a dark Frank Miller? Yeah, he's, he, he's a dark comic book kind of guy. Dark comic book. And so, whenever things would happen, things would be on screen. I'm like that looks like a page out of a comic book. Yes. Right. It's like he's here, and yes, it's slow motion. But if it were frozen, if it were a freeze frame, like I can picture the dark lines, shading, and stuff of a comic book page. Yeah, you, um, you can you can actually do that and just search 300 comic book and and on Google click the image tab and there is side by side shot for here's shot. here's the frame yeah. the shot in the movie here's the frame in the comic book and you're like oh yeah they're they're the same type stuff so the the fact that with your explanation here I really appreciated it because the fact <laughs> that people were surprised that Snyder made a dark DC universe when he was put in charge of universe just, just boggles my mind because if you see, watch any of his movies before and during and after, this is what he makes. I mean, he's good at it. You know, now he he never hit, hit it that he makes those kind of movies. Right. Right. I, I had this conversation uh, briefly with our buddy Fox thinking about, um, oceans 11, yeah. And there was definitely a time, uh, probably before I went to college, maybe for the first couple years of college, where I was not really aware of directors, right? Okay. You might know the big ones, right? You might know Spielberg, um, and I don't know. There, there are others now. Like, you might know Michael Bay or the Coen brothers or Tarantino, like... Some of the big ones that I've named. But for the most part, for the average moviegoer, you might think just, oh, it's a Superman movie, right? And Mm -hmm. you connect it with the other one. And you don't, if you're not, if you don't have that in your mind, like if you're not the kind of person who talks about movies in depth that way, and you're just like, I'm going to go see this movie and it's it's got this actor that I like in it and you know maybe knowing the actors names is as far as you get in <clears throat> in that sort of awareness um so there might be some of that going on uh with with Zack Snyder cuz I don't think when I saw Man of Steel I didn't know who Zack Snyder was I mean sure, I had not sure. seen Watchmen I had seen this cuz I again saw it in the theater um once right Right. when it when it came out um i do this is a little bit of a a sidebar in this conversation but it's relevant to this um i've been wanting to mention for a while a podcast i really like called hardcore history yeah um the host is dan carlin and i think he used to do a political show that i think he tried to keep you know balanced i don't know I've only listened to his history shows, so I don't really have a sense of his political leanings. Yeah. But 
Um, he does these long form podcast episodes, and he the last couple he's done are shorter, so they're more like our shows, right? Like an hour and a half, maybe an interview. He gets somebody on. He did a really interesting one about boxing a few months ago. Um, but his standard format, which is a different feed, is to do a topic or a or a period of time, and then it'll be there. I said long form, and I want to emphasize this. It's it's like watching a Ken Burns documentary. Um, there'll be like six episodes, and each of those episodes is like four or five hours long. So okay. it's more like, to me, it's more like listening to an audiobook, right? I'll put it on, and I'll just listen, and he'll be talking about this one thing. And he calls it hardcore history because he focuses a lot on battles and wars, um, yeah. that shaped or affected history. And he did a whole series on this, not just this battle, like this battle was part of it, the um, Battle of Thermopylae. Yeah. Um, but it it had all of this context building up to the, the Mede and Persian Empire and Xerxes and Darius. It was more, uh, he's, I, think he, I think he said Darius. I've always heard of Darius, but whatever. Um, who was the king before Xerxes and the, the, I don't know if I said this yet, the series is called King of Kings because he had so many nations and they allude to that a little bit in this movie. Um, and it's a, it's an era of history that's so far back. We have almost no information, right? I mean, not almost no, like there's some, but a lot of it is stereotypes, right? Like, the the writing that survived mostly came from Greece, came from um uh what's the guy's name? Herodotus? Oh, I don't know. There was a there was a there was a, a a Greek playwright, right? He would write these stories that are really you know, our concept of history grew out of this because he would write stories about events that happened in the real world into plays to entertain people and entertain mm-hmm. a Greek audience. And right. so you're like, okay, so he's writing about a historic event, but it's a little bit like, you know, Shakespeare writing Julius Caesar. Like some of it's true, but a lot of it is embellished for entertainment purposes. I mean, um, well, welcome to the history books, right? Right, right. It's, it's, it's the history books. And so one of the things that he says a lot in that conversation is like, there's this battle. And the records from the time say that this army had this many men and this army had this many men. It's like, the historians all agree those numbers are baloney. Those numbers, <laughs> it wasn't a million. Those, it was like 100,000. Those, those numbers are way too high. But what nobody can agree on is how many men there were. Like, right. well, we can look at the map and look at where the outlines of the land, at the mountains and the sea, and go, this is, you know... Somewhere in this range, and it's like a, still a big range, but you're like, you still had to feed and provision an army. So yeah. they were this far from their homeland, and they had control of these territories. And so maybe, not a million men, but as you said, like maybe 200,000, right. right, or something like that. Right. Um, which is still a, an, obsa- then, an insane, insane number right. in, in antiquity. Um, right. Anyway, I thought of that. Con- that conversation is the wrong word that that 
sort of documentary series while watching this and kept reminding myself like this is not historical like it's yes it's a historic event but it's not the comic book was not meant to be historically accurate i don't think and the movie definitely isn't like the movie is an adaptation of the comic book so it's it's not it's not mcu's thor but it's closer to that than a true retelling of historical events sure um and so i just kept that in mind like okay this is not that it's this and for what it is i think it's very well made yeah a long way to get to that simple point but it's a there's not a as we can say occasionally there's not a lot for me to say here about this not because it's good or bad just because it's it's a visual piece yeah it's a it's 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 a fantastic visual spectacle yes you you, when you watch this thing is the only way to talk about it um and us and all we the best we can do is try to explain that it's a visual spectacle um the the story is straightforward um from start to finish all of it is in the synopsis if you go read the synopsis online yeah (laughs) there's it doesn't deviate from any of that it's what it is and um it's just this is what what happened with that synopsis there is a little bit with the queen which seems like extra and yeah that that might have been in the comic book i hadn't actually read the comic book the graphic novel i should say um but and and that might have been in there but it also felt like it was stretching it was kind of used to stretch out the story because there wasn't much more there yeah um but that's not the important part at all really the story isn't even the least bit the most important part just this insane beautiful visuals and i we just talked about recently about how ant-man quantumanium was ridiculous because it's all cgi and made it the made the movie worse where this has got to be 95 percent cgi and it looks wonderful right like it's it's i will intentionally si- made that way si- since you brought up ant-man i want to I'm going to repeat a point that, again, I heard on another podcast okay. uh, criticizing that movie. Um, and it was something, I mean, we talked about this, but I couldn't quite quantify it in this way. They said that um, making the whole environment of Quantumania a fantasy land um, yeah. really hinders your ability to appreciate scale, which is Ant-Man's whole shtick. Right? right. You go That's back right. and watch the first one and like the best part of that movie is when they're fighting and like knocking over giant Thomas trains and stuff. Right. Right. Or it's like it's here an anthill or something. Yeah. And, and, and it's just a toy like like they're on a toy train set, but it's life or death because they're so small. And then they do the thing and the train falls out of the house and slight spoilers for that movie. Like. That's the gimmick. That's the Ant-Man gimmick is the shrinking and enlarging of stuff. And when everything is just a weird walking building that shoots lasers, you're like, okay, so they're bigger than that building, but what is that building? That's not even a normal building. Um, And they also do very little of the shrinking, growing stuff in that movie. Anyway. um, But yeah, it, it was a lot of, that was all CGI. And you're right. It was a fantastic world where this one really isn't. Um, but which which it matters, but but they're still kind of on a set. You can tell they're on a flat set ish type thing, but it yeah. just everything around it is kind of a 
an oil painting ish type thing <laughs> and very beautiful. Yeah. It uses extensive slow mo for every little thing, which makes yes. it cool. Like that's it's just about right. seeing the artwork. Like really this this movie is just about seeing the artwork. I mean, the the men in here are sculpted. Like they are in the best shapes yeah. of their entire life ever, like the peak men physique, right? So yeah. having yeah. them do a cool like jump across the thing. Michael Fassbender does one where he jumps all the way and he, he's got this sword over his head as he's flying, leaping towards. And you're like, and he does it in real slow motion. That's like just watching artwork. It's like watching Greek artwork through the whole time. Yeah. Um, and, and I really, really loved that. I think it was beautiful. Um, I would say, and, and that's really all I have to say about this show is that, that uh, it's good. It's a, it's a piece of art to watch. And that's, that's that's all it is. I wouldn't say it's that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just I, if you want to see a, a beautiful, moving, art piece, uh, that's this this watch this movie. Um, and if if you like, yeah. you know, very super in shape dudes, which are pretty cool. They're not like <laughs> meatheads, you know, like some stuff, but they're um, they're pretty cool. Right. Um, I would. If I'm making recommendations for people, though, when we, I, like I always like to do in this thing with, like, who would you recommend this for? I wouldn't recommend it to a, a lot of people. Almost no one. And the reason I would say that is because I would definitely recommend Gladiator instead. Like, Gladiator fits this genre, has very much a lot of art pieces to it, and a huge compelling story. So this fits yeah. right in there with I, it, but Gladiator is better. I'm glad... I'm glad you brought that up because that was the other movie I kept thinking of as I was watching this. Um, all the things you're saying are true. The story, as far as like watching a story unfold on screen, uh, Gladiator has a much better story. Right. Um, I mean, better in that way. Like the story, again, as you said, the story of 300, you can summarize in a sentence. Yeah. Um, but I think if you like Gladiator and you like the fighting parts of Gladiator, oh sure, almost yeah. all the combat in 300 is better than Gladiator. I think. I mean, we watched Gladiator a couple years ago, and it's still right. solid. Right? You've got um, um, why am I blanking on his name? Uh, the guy. Gladiator. Oh, uh, Russell Crowe? Russell Crowe. Um, you know, I he's at least been nominated, if not Academy Award mm-hmm. winner. Um, but he might have won for this, I think. But... This or Beautiful Mind or something. Um, Cinderella Man. Um, yeah, but the, 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 the fighting, the combat in Gladiator, I found to be very dated. It's a okay. lot of really tight shots and quick cuts sure. just showing that, that they couldn't do the kind of um, special effects that they could do. Which, and this is just a couple years after Gladiator, I think. Um, now I have to check. Gladi- to Gladiator sure. was 2000. Oh, it's 2000. At, yeah. at the turn of the century. Um, yeah. yeah, and so and this is six years later. Um and so you definitely get more, I mean, again, because that's 90% of what this movie is, is visual spectacle fighting. And it's, and it's definitely, I don't want to say definitely, but it's a little bit of a check your brain at the door thing. Because even if you're 
thinking about it just a little bit, like they brag about the phalanx and the reason that he sends the hunchback away is mm-hmm. because they need to be able to do the phalanx. And almost the instant the fighting starts, they break the phalanx. And <laughs> right, the guys yeah, are out there just right. running, s- stabbing with spears. Um, but you have this sequence of Gerard Butler, who <laughs> is the only Spartan with a Scottish accent. Um, mm-hmm. right. <laughs> he's, he's trying to hide it, but, but it's not quite... It's not quite accomplishing that. Um, where he, there's just a string of guys. It's like that scene in Old Boy, but in slow motion. And he doesn't kill as many guys, and it's you know you can see everything happening. It's just a spectacular, and I mean that literally is in spectacle. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. A spectacular comic book brought to life. I, um, I would I would agree. The the and yeah and and and, and I do have to now after you just mentioned. What you had said, I have to amend my recommendation to include what you just said because I I agree. I would recommend this to anyone who enjoyed Gladiator. That that that's that's what I would say. I guess because yeah. I guess it's wrong to say go watch Gladiator instead because assuming you haven't seen either of those two. But but if you've seen Gladiator and you like it, then yeah, definitely this is a good one. It's it's not as good as Gladiator, but it's got you know. And I actually like the way you put it better was that, you know, if you like the action scenes on that one, because you're right, the action scenes are, are cooler in this one. By the way, side yeah, note. because it's. Go ahead. Uh, side note, Gladiator won 12 uh, Academy Awards, uh, including uh, mm. Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor, Best Score, uh, Cinematography, Visual Effects. So it was pretty, <laughs> pr- pretty, pretty big for, for the, the time. Um, but yeah, it's. Uh, now I have to see. I mean, and I don't. Three hundred might have won like effects or or something kind of kind of a thing. Uh, it, just because it just because it didn't have story or you know type thing. Yeah, it it got nominated and won for a bunch of other um, awards, uh, but not. I don't see any Academy um, Academy yeah. Awards. It's other. It's other groups like a. Um, not, not, not that I care about Oscars or, or that is any kind SAG of Awards indicator of stuff. Um, stunts but, and people's yeah. choice, MTV. Um, but, but in this case, I, I, I would say that, that it, it didn't, it didn't have anything that was noteworthy except for the visual spectacle of it. And then, then that right. is like at an 11 or 15, I'd even say like, that's, I, I don't know very many, sh- many movies that have such a uh, just a artwork scene in every shot, every shot. Yeah. Um, and yeah. and e- even when it goes to like, like nonsense scenes, almost not nonsense, but things that don't seem to matter too much when he goes up and he sees the, the Oracle and those people like everything there is just, vi- he's climbing the side <laughs> of the mountain. It's a visual beauty. And then up top, it's yeah. the characters are, are cr- he has a, a small talk with the the hunchback guy, and it is a, a an artwork scene. It's like everything here is shot with just gorgeous intent, um, and could not give a, a, enough credit for the people who did that, which would be cinematographers yeah. and CGI people, uh, the right uh, costuming, everything, direct and director, as it comes down to. So yeah, I uh, thumbs up, but. Um, Fits fits in the gladi- gladiator genre is where I would go then. So you pick this one since this was three hundred. What what do you got for us for me next week? All right, we're gonna go completely the other way. Um, watch something a little light, a little silly. Scooby Doo, watch um, Scooby Doo. 
Where are you? No. This. No. <laughs> yeah, with uh, with that would be Linda the opposite. Cardellini. That'd be the other way. Um, she was in Guardians three, but I think it was a voice role. Like I, I didn't recognize who, who her was in it. Anything? Any? Uh, Linda Cardellini. She's she's uh, Velma in the Scooby Doo movies. Oh, yes, right. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm talking about So I Married an Ex Murderer. Oh, that's is, uh, I've not seen that movie. Can you believe that? It's it's Mike Myers and um, oh the lady from Three Men and a Baby, Three Men and a Little Lady. Well, that's a callback. She was also in that sitcom with Tim Allen, uh, Last Man Standing. She was the mom. Um, her name's our, our but our buddy yeah. Trotsky's gonna gonna shoot me for for not having seen *So I Married an Ex Murder*. He was a big um, fan of Mike Myers for a long time, and I think he loved that movie. So. I just, I think, um, I never got into, what's, what's his, um, James Bond? Austin Powers. I never got into Austin Powers. Um, I could see that. It's, it's, I think dumb movies, and I'm, I say this affectionately, dumb movies, you have to be in the mood for a dumb movie. And at that time in my life, I, I was, I was in, I loved all the stupid Wayne's World dumb stuff. I just, that one wasn't one for me yet, I think. Um, I've never seen Wayne's World. It's it's dumb. Uh, wait, wait. Actually, <laughs> it's very much in that. What's the name of that uh, movie we watched? With it starts off with him in the shower. Bill and Ted. Doing, no, no, no. Uh, it's one oh, of your the, fa- pest. the pest. The pest. It, the pest reminded me a lot of of Wayne's World. It's Wayne's kind World. Of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to make you watch that. It's it's it's, it's, it's all right. <laughs> um, okay, so. So I so I married an axe murderer. Okay, I've not seen that one. You know, I don't really even know much about it. So it's a comedy, right? Yes. Okay. Cool. I, I would assume comedy, it's Mike, Mike comedy, comedy thriller. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So in our last half hour here, uh, let's talk about the series Ted Lasso. Not just the season oh, or not, this. Not Guardians fin- Three. Now wait, let's do Ted Lasso because that's the the, the hot thing okay. of the moment. We'll it, say because it just it just finished, it just wrapped up. Right, last Wednesday as of this recording. Um, yeah. So let's do some interview questions. What do you? How do you feel about the series Ted Lasso? When, when it's over, okay. it's a year from now, and you're sitting down. And someone's like, "I'm thinking about starting up Ted Lasso, but I'm not sure." What would you say? Okay. Uh are we are we doing spoilers or no? Sure. Well, well I can well, I can try to if, an, if, I can if, try to answer without a, spoilers if you Yeah, let's prefer. avoid the last episode of this last season and then we can okay. at, the, at the end here we'll talk about what we think about how they wrapped up. Okay. Um so if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, we're on record gushing about Ted Lasso in the first two seasons. Um, it's one of those almost like four quadrant isn't even a strong enough term to use. It's it's a series that we loved, that I loved, that our friends who prefer a little edgier, a little more mature content all loved, like Game of Thrones. Um, Not that this is a Game of Thrones. All, <laughs> no, but... What I mean is there's a lot of sex and language. Um, oh, yeah, sure. But 
my family all loved it. My parents, who, especially mom, are very conservative about such things, really loved it. Um, at least the first two seasons. I don't think they've watched the most recent season yet. Um, and so, so it's accessible. I think it, mm-hmm. it, um, in a lot of ways, for being a show ostensibly about soccer slash football, um, is really just a show about life and about people. Yeah about how people interact and how they cope with with adversity and trauma and baggage and you know all of those words to basically say mental health although i don't want to scare people away by saying that it's a show about mental health (laughs) it Um, does seem seem like a scary thing it's unfortunate it seems like a scary thing but this is a show that has a lot with mental health and there's don't be don't be scared because of that around around things like that but don't don't be scared um, this is okay you're 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 in a safe place here people no i'm and and as of the show wrapping up um what i've said in our discord chat several times is that i believe and stand by this now that it's done um season three was rushed i don't know why i don't know whether that was money people execs i don't know if jason stekis wanted to move on to other things could be any a number of factors um the first two seasons felt intentionally paced like they knew what they were doing and they had a plan uh most notably in season two where apple or whomever asked them for 12 episodes instead of 10 i don't know if it's 12 and 10 or if it was 8 and 10 or 10 and 8 or whatever two Um, extra and so that so they added two quote-unquote filler episodes to the arc of the season and if you're paying attention you can spot them because the story is going through the rest of the season, and then there's one episode, or there's two, there, but, but an episode will pop up that's just something completely different. Right. And both of those episodes were excellent. So, yeah. again, as I said, when season three was just starting, I have a lot of faith in the ability of these writers making this show. I don't know how many writers there are or any of those details, but I've seen that when asked to pad out the season with two more episodes, they put two really excellent episodes in there. Um, So it, it sort of contradicts my normal thing of like less is more quality versus quantity because normally when that happens, either whole episodes or big chunks of episodes in a TV show are all filler that's boring because they're trying to hit a 24-episode quota or something. Oh, right, yeah. yeah. Um, Where this team didn't do that. Season three felt like, to me, could have been two complete seasons. Um, Sure. I felt they meandered a a lot lot when they didn't need to, like... Or are they, they yeah, I don't know, so, they, they rushed and meandered at the same time. It's like, yeah, they, they, some, some things yeah. were, ru- some, some stories were rushed and then others were like, boy, we're spending a lot of time on this and then thing it didn't that matter. gets resolved and then, and then seems to have no bearing on the characters or the large, cause it's not that, it's not that the seasons have like a big story, like a sports story about how they're going to go to. Right. The national whatever championship and they're going to beat the the whatever the opposite of the underdogs are. Um, Man City. 
Man City, right? Manchester. Um, but again, the, the, the story is much, much more about the people, about the characters, their relationships, their interactions, all of those things. Um, that being said, I was mostly satisfied with how it ended. Like, it, we got to the finale of this season, the season finale, and not all the questions are answered, but the stories are resolved, by which I mean there's not going to be a season four. Like, right. Unless they make a spin-off show where they're missing some major characters, like somehow doing the show without Ted Lasso. Um, <laughs> right. Which which is interesting because, I mean, he, he does say that, not that I we're, we're not in the end here yet, but at one point he does say something to the effect of, it's never been about me type thing, uh, which is true right. when you kind of retrospect at it. But that being said, the show isn't the show without Ted. Like, he, even though he doesn't always have, I took very much note that in the last two seasons, he doesn't always have a big part in every episode. Uh, he can yeah. often be just a, a few little pop-in scenes, and it's about other people. Um, right. But but Ted always being in these people's lives changed everything about the dynamic with everyone always. And yeah, it's a it's a ripple. Like um, I don't know, it's a Wonderful Life, or a, uh, probably a better example of that. Like. Um, like Anne of Green Gables or something much more saccharine than this than this series, yeah. where one person's persona, let's just say persona, because we eventually learn that, you know, Ted's mannerisms and his attitude and his uh, just way that he walks through the world is somewhat intentional, right? Which is, right. I mean, that's part of the, part of the whole thing. It's like, it's not that, it's not that he's Pollyanna or Anne of Green Gables, like this, Wh this which unflappable, the first perfect, episode of season one, you might think that. You might right? think that. Right. Um, but like anybody else, he is making choices. He's choosing to, which I think is, is a more powerful message. Um, yeah. That's very much the know. focus of season two. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so his presence in these people's lives, whether directly or indirectly, affects them. I almost want to say challenges them, though that's a more active, um, like, obviously for, for the players, Ted is challenging them to, to improve as players and as people, but there are all other people in the cast, in the, in the cast, I guess, um, mm -hmm who are not his players, who are nonetheless affected by his presence. You know what I just realized um, as, you, as you were saying that? Who's the one person that almost never interacted with Ted? Like, if there's one person on the entire cast that you can think about, I can think of right now one person that nearly never, I bet you can count on one hand that he, they're in the same scene. You know who that is? It'd be, it'd be Rupert. Rupert's never with Ted. Never. I was going to say Rupert, except except for the darts in season except one. Except for the darts, right? And at mm -hmm. the, in that one scene, it's a really big, important scene because it's the first time him and Ted face off type thing, right? Mm -hmm. That that this this wild 
change to the world has come and in, in affecting everyone. And then the one who's the, the complete opposite of that, like the destructor of people's worlds come head to head. And then they kind of bounce off each other and then never come back together again. Yeah. Um, and I mean, they're like, say Ted's in the room with the funeral, but they don't interact again. They don't ever do anything. Right. And, and that's, that's kind of an example of why Rupert never changes. Rupert only kind of gets worse. And, yeah. you know, he doesn't have that influence the way that Ted has influenced every single person. Um, and sometimes here's something I wanted to say about Ted. That he, he's very much a, a therapist, by the way. He, he, the way he interacts with everybody from the beginning sure. is that no matter how nasty they are, including reporters or whatever, he he always takes not necessarily what would be called the high road, but he just moves on. And as he says, what thinks like a goldfish. And, mm -hmm. and, and and does those kind of things. Uh, it's characterized by Rebecca being mean to him in the first season, trying to thwart him at every time, and he just never stops giving her her biscuits, um, <laughs> no matter what she says and how often she vehemently expresses to not do it. It's his personality to continue to be kind until yeah. the people become kind themselves, um, right. and, and that's that's it happens throughout his entire. Uh, series and in this series it's particularly in season three i was very much of aware that ted's role in their lives in season three has become nothing but a listener if you ever go back mm -hmm. and watch season three again watch ted interact with people and i and i it, it just clenched it to me as i was thinking this and then it happened in the last episode when he talks to nate which we won't talk about yet but right he all he all that the character's lines are is to do nothing but just nod and listen hmm. and the and the other characters the other cast members are allowed to express their emotions get things that they need to have said out and ted right. doesn't respond he doesn't respond with like that's okay or i forgive you or things that you might think needs to be said he just lets the person talk and yeah be who they are, whether it be Jamie or whether it be, uh, um, you know, a beard or anyone he, or Sam, he's just lets them be who they are and doesn't try to add to it. Doesn't control the situation. Doesn't give them advice per se. I mean, he gives his team advice, but nothing, you know, one-on-one -on -one sort of thing, which, which is so, is, the, the word is healthy, right? The, the, the best way right. to handle stuff. And like we do with all the Ted shows, we say, I think it was you, the one that had first said it. It's the way that you should behave in situations. Right. These people always react in the way that you should behave, not say the best way or the wrong way, but the way that if you could do hindsight and look at how should I have behaved the most healthy way, this is what they do in, in this show. Um, so as my part is a series as a, as a whole, I would say, I mean, I, I still, it's going to be one of my top TV shows of all time. I agree Absolutely. with you on all steps on season three. Um, either they needed to cut it in half and drop some storylines or split it into two and really delve into those storylines and make it more meaningful. Because there were a lot of storylines in the last season that, to your point, saying rushed, to me, they just came in out of the blue. Like, I don't know the point that they were showing us in that, mm -hmm. uh, why they gave us these storylines. And then... There was no, and then they just end them like really in one episode, they just, it just, okay, that's wrapped up. And it felt way too easy for a thing that, that they don't usually wrap up really easily. And it's just done and we move on. I'm like, yeah, I, yeah. I don't and understand that's, that. 
And that is what made this series unique in the first two seasons is that we have a we have one or two depending on how you define genres but we have at least one entire genre where people respond people behave in situations in conflict in relationships in an idealized way right yeah and i'm i'm talking about romantic comedies and especially holiday romantic comedies right where people react so so in such an the ideal is the wrong is not the word that i want here but um saccharine kind of way saccharine which you know sugary syrupy sweet right mm-hmm. like that's why we use the word saccharine um in a way that is quote unquote perfect like a hallmark card right it's yeah. obviously a hallmark channel um <clears throat> and like in a in a fairy tale version of reality where you know somebody goes to the airport and gives a grand romantic speech and the other person is not genuinely disturbed or embarrassed or mortified but just maybe comedically embarrassed and then you know they walk off the the scene hand in hand right um but what ted lasso did was instead of going all that way into the perfect like what's the what's the perfect thing that could happen here perfect in a bad way in a not a bad way but like in a way that breaks plausibility mm-hmm. right um instead was like okay what if within the parameters of how real people really act and really behave but not again not taking that to its negative extreme like marriage story but say what if within the parameters of how people really behave how re- people really talk what's the what's the best way they could this person could respond to this situation yeah um and some of the things in season three because it felt so rushed leaned a little more into that romantic comedy style writing yeah um it's like they wanted to give you too much saccharine in the last season yeah but just to wrap everything up and right but the weird part about that was that there were some key things they could have given us saccharine on and they didn't. And it felt odd to me. Like they could, I don't want to spoil because we're going to talk about the ending here, but they, they could have, sure. they could have done a couple things with several different kinds of people to have them more, uh, sugary resolutions. And then they just don't do that. And they do a whole different, um, storyline and make it all sweet and sugary. And you're like, I don't yeah. understand what you're doing here. So, so that felt, I guess at the end of the day, it did feel like they knew where they wanted these characters to end up. They mm. knew kind of a story that they wanted to get it out and across. And they did such a good job of doing that in seasons one and season two, that these, all the characters have progressed into such a really good place that they had to just kind of come up with something for the season three to um, end it. Right. Like maybe yeah. they thought they were going to take three seasons to, for these characters to develop, but they did such a good job with them. Uh, and the cast was so good that they, they actually completed their mission in two seasons. Um, so that's where it felt with me um, that you could actually just watch the last episode, maybe another one in this season, and it would be fine. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think 
very few characters um, changed, I guess, or or got or become different from season two to season three, with the exception of maybe Nate. Mm-hmm. Um, but even his story felt odd to me. I think rushed. when they re- when they resolve it, it was rushed in the end, and they had a whole season to to progress it. And I don't know. Some people argue like he they did spend a lot of time with him and his girlfriend, etc. True, but I don't yeah. think that they spent a lot of time on him learning about who he was, you know, by what he did or exploring himself or, you know, becoming a better person. They really didn't I I didn't think. No. Um and they just didn't give us that with him. So Nate might be the only one um that made a lot of different progress. The whole Zava storyline, I think was very forgettable. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for example. Okay. So now we'll talk about, so anyway, thumbs up three, three, four, th- five thumbs up for, for the series <laughs> as a whole, I think. Um, but okay. So let's go into spoilers and talk about the last season fully in our last five, 10 minutes. And, okay. and then also specifically about the last episode and how we felt as it goes. Put a okay. bell out for us. Yep, I'm gonna hit the bell. We're gonna talk about season three and the finale of Ted Lasso. So if you've not seen it, uh, please jump ahead. Well, I'll just do the outro after this, so you could jump ahead and listen to the outro if you want. But yeah. Okay, so um, the the last episode to me was just okay. Uh, I did have some tears, so that shouldn't say that it was just it wasn't terrible. Or just lame in any way, because I did well up. But the reason I welled up was because I loved the characters so much. And I could understand the moments that were happening, right? Like I, when Rebecca yeah. is interacting with Ted, in any scene in that last episode was hard to get through. Sure. You know, because there's, if there's anyone who understands the value of Ted, it's her. And she, the scenes with her were everything that I would have wanted to hear from her, how she tries desperately to get him to stay. She does everything she could possibly do to get him to stay in the the kindest way possible. Um, And then her going to him at the end and the airport was, you know, just a wonderful extra on there. Um, And their hug, you know, that, that super teared me up. Uh, The believe sign, how they all, had it there you know and that we're carrying the pieces did you um, see the thing i don't know if right. you heard of this i don't know if this is something we talked about the podcast i'm sure that i've seen it in movies several times um uh, and there's a word for it that's not gonna come to me um let me describe it while i'm talking um <clears throat> there is a tradition in japan uh, kintsugi is the word, um, where sometimes if they have a broken piece of pottery, like a cup or a bowl that breaks mm-hmm. in some way, yeah. and it's, it's used as a metaphor, of course, because of, I'll describe it here and you'll understand why, where instead of throwing it away or just fixing it normally, um, they'll put it back together and then paint the cracks with like a glue that they mix yes, with right. with silver or or you know it's the metaphor is better if it's gold right like 
gold dust goes into the glue or the epoxy or whatever that they use to seal the cracks. So not only do you have a bowl that was broken that's put back together, and it probably comes up in the show. I don't know why else they would put it in the finale. Um, where now you have a bowl that was cracked that's now restored and the cracks are very visible and have become part of the beauty of the piece. And of course yeah. it's used as a metaphor for life, for human, human right. life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and they do that with the end, having the belief sign together yeah. with the ribs. And, and, and you have yeah. Nate and I think the, maybe I was reading into this, but, the, but the implication I got was that, um, all the, the, the like, the the shoebox things that he's had maybe he was making those all this time and just saying <laughs> that his niece made them uh because he <laughs> definitely fixes the sign himself um yeah and it's again it's not a new sign like ted says he he ripped it up and and put a new one up it's it's the same sign but the the cracks are part of its story part of its history yeah he he uh had they done a better job with Nate in the end of season three, I would have been okay with him becoming the new coach. Mm. Um, like Nate coming from where he was at the beginning as just a kit man all the way up through here and then proving himself having a bad rough, you know, going down the dark side of the path and having a redemption and coming through and, and becoming a better person and then embracing Ted's philosophy and becoming the coach type thing. That would have been great for that, but they kind of, as I mentioned earlier, bungle his stuff. So I'm actually yeah. even more glad that they made Roy coach there. Um, yeah. I that, feel that was, like that was a good call. I feel like maybe the message they wanted to give was that Nate gets everything he wants and he's still not happy. And that happens, but it's, it's still sort of glossed over. And yeah. I love the relationship with him and Jade. Like it mm -hmm. sort of explains like when they, first introduce that character in season two you're like what is the deal with this character like the camera spends a lot of time on her and she's cute so that's fine but i'm like that this is not a show that would do that for no reason um and <clears throat> the takeaway of that for me was just like how much of a better person nate can be with a little bit of affirmation yeah and, and and Ted does that a lot for him. That's what Ted right, does. Right. Right. That was that was sort of the theme, the theme of season two is that Ted did so much to lift Nate up, and then Ted I don't want to say got caught up or preoccupied because those seem negative. Ted had to spend time in season two working on himself. Yeah. And couldn't be that for Nate. And right. then Nate became the worst version of himself. Um, yeah. And they, they spent so much time with Nate looking at his phone and being preoccupied with other people's opinions of himself. But right. they never really resolved that either. Like he may have just realized that that's not important because now I have Jade, but I wish they would have done a little bit more with him it's understanding also, that how unhealthy that was. Yeah. He never really did. Right. It's also not really healthy for him to find his entire, uh, uh, fulfillment sense of self-worth in a in a relation in a romantic relationship. in jade yes i felt that yeah. way too yeah like he, he's so ex excited about that but that could could end at any point just ask keely and roy right like right. 
um, even the most perfect thing can end. So that, like several of these things in season three, just was weird. This felt like they really jumbled their. That's the one storyline I feel like they dropped the ball in, with mm. was was with him at the end. And but and then they just finished his story in one episode. Like he came yeah. back, and that's that's it. And I was like, man, this was two seasons in the making, and then it just just gets glossed over in one thing. I really another tear thing was when he hugged uh, Ted and Ted allowed him to talk and apologize for a second there. I thought Ted was gonna be like, Oh, don't think another thing about it. And we'll move on. And that would have been a, a crime. I would have been talking badly about in the show, <laughs> but they did give him time to, to have his scene and to say what he needed to say, which I really loved. And I did get, get a little teary on that one. Um, but I wish that that would have been more, more from that. You know, just, than, than just five minutes of, of airtime. Just spent a little more time. Yeah, on it. Give, yeah, giving that one. So yeah, I I liked um, I liked Rebecca ending up with the boat guy Dutch again. Guy. Mm-hmm. If they'd have given that more time, I really would have liked that. Sure. Um, they gave Keely and Roy an entire season to grow as people together to come to become this perfect couple that that were weren't perfect, but had grown together in that way. And they give her one episode and then end her on this one thing. Not that that has to be her whole character, but that's what they give us like this happy thing that she wanted in season three, that she wants to have this other life as a, as a parent and a family. Um, Mm -hmm. And which seemed again, seemed to come out of nowhere, Alish, a little bit of this one. And they dumped two episodes with one episode with the guy. And then just the last thing you're like, okay, that was just, where did that come from? I like these two. It works, but geez, you just give me more time with that. Did they right? do, did they resolve the matchbook thing? Not clearly enough. I mean, like she saw it. all the things that maybe they're just saying that it's still a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Again, it wasn't very clear. They just season three, just didn't have a lot of, you know, clear defined things. I think. Um, right. It's the same thing with like the the boyfriend of Ted's wife. Like, obviously, we're supposed to hate that guy, um, but why are they constantly telling it, showing us how bad he is, and then not giving us any resolution to that whatsoever? Um, what was the point the, the, of him the mo- being there? The most we got was that that relationship is not serious for her, right? But that's that's but they went to on a vacation to Europe together. You know that's right, but he, but he didn't propose, right? They're not, right. they're not serious. That's all I'm saying. So, so we we yeah, it just felt like a lot of where was that coming from? And you know, I I enjoyed how it affected Ted when that when that happened, but then I didn't really you know, it was just silly. Find Sam had a weird out. ending because he didn't really end. Like th- they were really bringing him along in season two with Rebecca, and then he got he has his shop. But mm-hmm. then they just kind of leave him like they do a lot of the, the players. And I'm like, oh, man, Sam felt a little bit more important than that. Um, but I guess I guess not. Same thing with Jamie. I don't know what they did. with What did they do with Jamie in season three? Like he just got to be a better football player? But he was already like Basically, one of the stars of the league. He He became more of a team player. But again, like they sort of undermined their own message with that because he does that when they start doing the total football after the Zava thing, which is like, 
I feel like they could have jumped right into that. They could have cut that whole Zava. Could have cut that arc. whole thing out. Yeah. Um, and he, so he was unnecessary to the season. So so Jamie becomes this like yes he's a really good player but he's more valuable than just being his own good player and is more effective at being a good teammate right that that you know they they run the ball through him except then later when he goes back to Man City and they're all booing him like then he still makes a goal and they they applaud and it's very like traditional sports story with a movie which that, is that was a sacri- overly sacred moment i boring like, yeah yeah that yeah. that 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 didn't seem realistic at all if anything they'd be more pissed off at him yeah sudden you know? suddenly the fans like him because he scored on them okay sure right so so that that was a lot of that was examples of things in, in season three and in the last episode that you're like oh man so i wasn't i didn't dislike the season finale but it just didn't give me what I kind of expected from some of these writers where, where I left like feeling, thank you for the message you're giving or, you know, Ted had a scene in season two where he read the note from the doctor, the goodbye note, which didn't have a lot of things to say. And it just, that was a powerful scene. And it was one of the last scenes of the season. Um, And that's a kind of resolution that I was hoping for, for a lot of these stories. And then most Mm. of them got left as uh, not a really ending. Like there was no resolution to the Roy Keeley relationship fine if that's not your thing but i that was one of my favorite parts of the show just because not because of the romance whole thing just because how much all three of them have grown as people as human beings and then the the relationship dynamic with with keely and roy was relationships are hard and difficult and these are two very broken people have very broken parts Mm -hmm. um and in season two have done like monumental lifting of changing his people. And then Roy does say it in season three about how he's changed and, and how he does, he feels like he's failed even. Um, right. And, and I felt that there was, it was, there was an earning point there where they had, both of them had earned some happiness because both mm-hmm. of them wanted a happiness in a relationship. And then they just, they threw Jack in there, which seemed like a, another, why did they put that character in here? Yeah, um, I think I think maybe now that you're talking about it, and we're running long here, so I don't want to yeah. get too much into this, but I think Keeley's arc was about finding fulfillment alone, like outside of a relationship. And you get some of that in season two where she talks to um her other friends who are models and they're all dating footballers, and you get that it's like, you know, maybe she wants to you know, that's the end. That's her finale in season two where they break up. It's not really clear they're breaking up, but they break up. Um, <clears throat> and then in the process of that, she does this relationship with Jack that is a different kind of thing. Like instead of a footballer or a former footballer in the case of Roy, um, it's somebody else. Like not just that it's another woman, but, you know, somebody wealthy and mature and responsible and then that doesn't work because it's too imbalanced and i think maybe that might be a thing that if somebody's thinking of making a spin-off they want to keep that story ambiguous so that they could do or they just leave it kind of like how ted's relationship with his ex-wife is left ambiguous like she's obviously not serious with the new guy and he goes home 
So who knows what happens? They're not going to tell us so that, yeah. you know, we can, people are free to have their headcanon of. And, and that is fine, but that is not my <laughs> favorite kind of things. Like, no, right. right, I, right. I want one of things over to be done and have the, the idea. Here, here's my favorite word of the day. Closure. Sure. Like they, everybody talks about how it's important to have closure in life and how damaging not having closure it can be. Sure. Um, and when, when stories come out and say, but there's no ending, there's no closure. You're like, well, what are you trying to tell me here? Right. You know? Sure. Uh, so I, I, it's a, it's, it's a fantasy fictional made up show with goofy storylines multiple times throughout. I felt mm-hmm. that as, as a viewer, they could have given us some closure to these storylines or if you don't, then kind of give us the message of why you don't like Keeley should have come out and said, guys, I love you both. I think you're wonderful, but I need to make sure that I'm happy with myself if I ever want to have a relationship with you again, but I'm doing what's important for me right now. And I want to continue to do that. And you guys are not in the picture with that. If they had said that, I would have been like, okay, Keeley has come to her arc here. This is a closure with her. And then they continue on with Roy accepting that and and Jamie doing the same thing and becoming better people. And if they had actually done that instead of just leaving it ambiguous, I would have been much happier. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm with you. Right. So yeah, there's a, we could obviously talk for more more hours with this, but Ted Lasso, fantastic show. I walked in one day, saw Shelly watching it and I was like, what are you watching? And she's <laughs> like, uh, someone at work said this show is pretty good, but I don't really know. I'm like, this is the best show on television. So she's like, ah. I'm like, what's wrong with you? So <sighs> she, that tells you the kind of, of TV or movie watcher she is that she, she can't enjoy Ted Lasso because it's not her. She yeah, does not I, like those. Kind I, of I think we've established the two of you have different tastes in it. <laughs> <laughs> but for everyone else, uh, Shelly excluded, I would say uh, Ted Lasso is a fantastic, and uh, I would put it in the same kind of uh, tier as The Good Place um, mm. for 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 shows that you should watch. Yeah, my my recommendation that's for some reason harder to sell people on, and I I guess I sort of get it, except the people I tried to sell it on were my parents, and it seems like something they would like even more than I did. Um, is the series Trying, which is another English mm. show about a okay. And an older young couple, I think they're like in their early 30s, who are trying to get pregnant. Um, and it's, you know, so it's it, comparing it to Ted Lasso is awkward because it's not it's not crass or or laden with profanity like Ted Lasso is. And it's not about sports, um, mm. but it is about people and how they react to difficult situations. Um and is very heartwarming in the same way that Ted Lasso is. Awesome. All right. You have been listening to The Front Porch. This is episode 300. Congratulations, Michael. Hey, congratulations to you. Um, thanks always to our friends at LRM Online. You check them out for reviews on things. If you want to email us and tell us your fan theories about who ships with who in ted lasso <laughs> after the finale you can reach us via email that address is front porch pod at gmail.com if you head over to our website front porch you can find contact forms there to reach out to us show notes where relevant and 
That's pretty much it. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider subscribing on the podcatcher of your choice. You got Spotify, Apple Podcast, Overcast. There's a couple new ones. Somebody I heard. I don't know. I'm not going to remember. Anyway, uh, subscribe. You probably already are. But if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts and feel like leaving us a five-star review, we always appreciate that. It helps out a lot getting higher on the rankings with the 30 other shows that also have front porch in the name. Uh, okay, I said all the things. Oh, wait, there's one more I want to add. All right. In our closer, I want to uh, congratulate our... Uh, we, had a, we had a guest on the show a couple weeks ago, and as of today, he has uh, just finished his... Or his Kickstarter has crossed his goal for the fourth down family card game. Nice. Congratulations. That's awesome. And that's all you say. All right. Um, as always... Thanks so much for joining us. Until next time, I'm Dennis. And I'm Michael. For The Front Porch. Night, everybody. See you next time.